Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Rue of BTN, and this week's guests are former Michigan State running back Jeremy Langford, former Northwestern volleyball player Emily Eman. Let's get into it. Take a look, listen, and enjoy. Look at here, look at here. With the catch, the finish! Oh my goodness, what a catch! Oh Energy, enthusiasm. Right, before we get to our first interview with Jeremy, real quick word from our sponsor, Northwestern University's School of Professional Studies. If you've ever thought about a career in sports, check out the master's program in sports administration at Northwestern University. You can build your skill set and your network in evening or online classes. Find out more at sps.northwestern.edu sports. Great program to look into, especially now with a lot of things on hold, you can Further your education, get some uh, experience in one of the you know the best schools in the country, and maybe work at a place like BTN someday. All right, now we'll get to the interview with Jeremy Langford. All right, I'm very pleased to be joined by former Michigan State star running back, former NFL back Jeremy Langford. Jeremy, how's it going, man? Thanks for jumping on. Yeah, it's good, man. I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting. For sure, appreciate you jumping on. And you know, we last saw you in the NFL a couple years ago. Uh, saw you also sign with Saskatchewan and the, uh, the CFL or, and are involved in the restaurant business a little bit too. So give us an update, man. How's life been going for you since we last saw you in the league? Uh, it's been going good. I can't complain. So me and my family did open up a, a restaurant out here uh, in, in my home. It's a place I went to school at, uh, Motor City Meats and uh, The Real McCoy. And it's been doing real good with the, with the whole pandemic and everything. It's also a meat market, so which is which is a blessing to discuss because we was never really, you know, prepared for that. But we end up buying a meat market and everything, and it's been doing good. And like I said, me and my, my whole entire family worked there, so it's been good, been doing good. And I'm, I'm blessed. Any Spartans fans are listening, how can they uh, they find that business, that spot? How can they check you out in the uh, game? Uh, yeah, we on Instagram at uh, The Real McCoy, and it's in, it's in, um, in Romulus, in Romulus, Michigan, next to the airport, you know, Wayne and Van Born. And we there, you know, seven days a week. We, and we, we, we cooking, barbecue, good soul food, good eating. And, we, you know, it's, it's good quality food. But, yeah, it's right next to the airport in, in Romulus if, you, if they're in the area. Love it, man. Yeah, I'm getting a little, uh, little hungry just, just chatting about it now. Um, I, I want to talk football, obviously, plenty of football with you. And we'll just kind of start at the beginning when, uh, when Spartans fans got to know you. And, you know, looking into your background, I didn't really know all this about you, how you, you switched from offense to defense running back to corner, wide receiver, back to running back. And I, what was even mind-blowing was that your first touchdown came on defense. So take those of us like me, those ignorant folks like me who don't know, through what that was like, uh, you know, switching to defense, what went into that decision and how you ended up back at running back. Uh, you know, I came in, I, and I initially signed in 2010, I signed as, a, as an athlete. So, you know, you sign as an athlete, you play, you could play any skill position, you know, that, that's, that's, that needs help. And in me, Le'Veon and Nick Hill, we was all in the same the same class, that 2010 class, which is a good running back class, running back class, and we all play running back. And then Le'Veon and Nick came in a semester early, so they was already you know head up and knew the plays. So as I'm coming in, you know Le'Veon and Nick is battling for it, but you know I think we need some help at, run, at receiver. So Coach D throw me at receiver. I think I run a fast 40, and he just put me at receiver. Just try to get me on the field, so I ended up playing receiver a little bit. 
and uh, with, with Trevor was the coach then, and, and and it was going good, but I was just so frustrated because I just really wanted – I want the ball. I didn't want to have to depend on nobody else to throw me the ball. I want the ball right now. So that that kind of went through there, and I, it, it kind of phased out a little bit. And I think somebody ended up getting hurt at safety, so he threw me at safety, and I'm, I'm back there playing safety. And then my and then initially I ended up playing corner, which I stuck there a little bit. And I'm in the FAU game, my first time actually in the game, and I get in there, and uh, I'm backpedaling. And then Curtis Drummond, which are all American safety, we was in there at the same time. We both young, and he he ended up knocking the ball, the, the football loose off the, off the running back hands, and I get it, and I turn into a running back. So that's what this that's what I always wanted to play. I always wanted to play running back. My mindset I always wanted to be there. But you know, like a, like a lot of times in life, you got to do a lot of things you don't want to do to get somewhere you want to be, and that's kind of how 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 it happened. I ended up getting the ball and, and running, running, and then Coach Barnett, like the end toward the end of the season, he like you you gonna move back and run it back. It's it's gonna it's gonna happen. And then the way it happened is Le'Veon ended up leaving early, and the spot was wide open. It was me, Nick Hill, and, and Le'Veon. I mean, uh, and Riley Buller at that time to really. For that spot, and, and Coach D, he's like that. He, he move a lot of players around to get players on the field, which is a good thing. He don't want to be sitting there and not playing at all. He wants you to get some experience. So at that time, when Le'Veon left early, I ended up going to play running back, and then I started the next two years. For sure, and Michigan State obviously was high powered in those days, and, and they were known, I think, a little more for their defense. I mean, it was Brandon and everything. They had the, the no fly zone. So what was it like being in uh, alongside guys in those position meetings and, and learning from some guys who were still in the NFL to this day? Oh man, it's, it's lovely, man. Like, and, and I think what Darquez Denard is one of the guys, you know, Darquez Denard and and, and Curtis Drummond and uh, a lot of those guys who started, and we was all in the same class together. So we all matured. That's twenty ten class. We all matured in in a way, and and it was just lovely watching them go out there and play, and and then adapt, to bring the younger guys along. And I think I just I just learned that that mindset from defense anyway. So I feel like that helped a lot. From playing offense and defense, I just seen a bigger picture. But guys like that who who are all Americans and, and still in the league, and I still talk to, you know, Quez all the time and, and Tony Lippett and Trey Wangs and all those guys. It just it's, it's good, and I'm happy to see those guys keep going. You ever think about how your career would have been different if you would have stuck on D? Like, do you think it would have panned out as well as it did if you would have stayed uh, on the other side of the ball? I hated defense. I hated it. I just didn't. It, it it didn't – I wanted to score a touchdown, and I wanted to do, you know – so a lot of times I would maybe try to let a guy catch the ball to try to get a pick or something. I just really didn't like defense at all. And I never I never really did. I always knew my heart was to play running back, and I wanted to play running back. I was a good enough athlete to play corner, but I just wanted to play running back. And I just that's, – that's my mindset was when I came in into our, and I'm at now. And it, and it worked out the way it's supposed to, and I'm blessed to be where I'm at now. Fair enough. And, you know, you, you mentioned you coming behind Le'Veon, another great running back. Um, did you believe as you were watching him get those carries and waiting for your time, did you believe that you could compete at a, at a level that Le'Veon was producing at? Or did it take a while to, like, click for you? Because, you know, for a while you're on the other side of the ball and then even backing him up, that's got to be a little uncertain when you're wondering when your time's going to come. Yeah, and that's what that's how a lot of people was though, cause I, I but I always had the mindset, you know, a lot of players, you can't tell a lot of athletes like you can't do something. And when I was there for a reason. I wasn't there just to just to be on the team and, and sit there. I was there for a reason. I was there to compete, and that's what Michigan Michigan State became. Cause when you bring those good players in, you got to compete, and it make you a better player as well. But the thing, my my biggest thing was when I was coming in and trying to play running back, is, is I was I'm, I'm fast and I'm run fast, 
and I wanted to hit the home run every time. But the Big Ten, Big Ten ball, and I like that. You got to get the, and I kind of learned that from watching Le'Veon. You got to get the three yards, the four yards, the four yards, and then it'll pop. My running back coach, Brad Salem, he was always talking about that. And that was the biggest thing. I always want to hit the 20-yard, the, the 40-yard runs every time. But once I got the mindset of getting those four yards and three yards in a cloud of smoke or whatever, and then my, that, that actually helped. So just learning that part. And seeing that, but my mindset never changed that I would be that I, I should be and I was gonna be a star runner. But yeah, I was looking back into some uh, old articles about you just preparing for this interview, and Will Golson said it back in 2013, I think, to the media. He said you were doing the same stuff against your own defense and practice that he saw Le'Veon do as a starter. So then you went out and proved it. So um, you know, how did that kind of click for you? Did, did Le'Veon bring you along, or was it kind of just you putting your head down by yourself and working? It was just it was a collective effort though, cause at that, that, that time when Le'Veon was playing, was was the starting running back, I'm going to get to start defense, so I'm going against the Will Ghosts and the Mac Bullers, and that's every day in practice, and they, they ain't taking it easy on me, and I'm not taking it easy on them, and that's kind of how that how that mindset was, and I think that's kind of how we got to where we at, cause it, we we was competing every day, day in and day out, on practice and and what on, on whatever, but then me just watching Le'Veon and Edwin Baker and Larry Capers, like all them guys. I watched and I kind of just watched and see how they, you know, went about. Because all them guys are successful running backs at Michigan State. And they all had their time. And every year they always did something. And I just wanted to keep contributing to that. And Javon Ringer came back a lot. I picked his brain. So it was just a whole collective effort. And I think that's how it should be as a team. When somebody else goes, somebody should be the passing on and keep going that way. And that's kind of how it was for me. Yeah, speaking of Spartan running backs, I want to kind of – categorize their their skills a little bit and have you assign one skill to one legendary Spartan running back. So, you know, you mentioned a lot of them there, Le'Veon, Javon Ringer, you got yourself in there, Larry Caper. Um, so if you had to pick one guy, let's, let's put it in the speed category, one guy out of all those backs that, that you would put in a foot race, who would it be? Oh, uh, me. Me, 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 and, and, and Rock, Edwin Baker, I think in the speed category, me and Edwin, but I, I got Edwin though with speed and I'm, I'm going with me. Sure. All right, how about overall just power? Like, you got to hit the truck stick on someone. Ooh, and that's, that's what made Le'Veon such a good back. I'll go with him and Larry, and Larry Caper because Le'Veon definitely, he did it all. He had that power. And, and Larry Caper definitely, the game that run against Michigan, he ran with power. All right, how about blocking, pass blocking? Pass blocking? Ooh. I did. I got better at that over time. And uh, I think Larry Caper definitely stepped into that role when he was behind Le'Veon. As being that third down black and pass block, blocking back, my little me, me, me and Larry on that one. All right, you said you're a receiver. Who had the best hands, best uh, catching the ball out of the backfield? I definitely had good hands, but my my receptions didn't show as much. Knowing my college career, I think Le'Veon Le'Veon had a lot of a lot of catches, hit the sources in the year. So I gotta go with Le'Veon on that one. All right, last one. Uh, agility, like the overall wiggle in space, you gotta get by someone who's gonna be. Oh, that's Le'Veon. Le'Veon had it. And I think that was just because the size, like he was always catch people off guard. Le'Veon definitely had that wiggle, and he still he still does. All right, I want to reflect on some old Big Ten rivalries now. Uh, you know, Michigan is the first thing that comes to mind. You think anything Michigan State related as far as rivalries go? You guys beat them up pretty good, um, especially when you were a starter uh, during your time there. So for you, were they the most disliked team, or was there another like little rivalry that popped up during that era? Oh no, that it, Michigan, Michigan hands down, hands down was was definitely because they just I feel like they always overlooked us. But then as the, as the, as as we got better and the, and the the games we played got bigger, it became like those 
I mean, Notre Dame, we had some big games against Notre Dame. The Ohio State game, it wasn't a, it wasn't a rivalry, but that we we just didn't like you know didn't like them because they was overlooking us. So anybody that really overlooked us was 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 our rivalry. You know, it was Wisconsin. So Michigan definitely has the whole that has the you know the biggest rivalry for us because they always overlooked us every year. But it's a lot of other teams in there too. How about postseason? All the bowl games you went to, what was the best overall experience or like best bowl swag you guys got? What, what was the coolest thing that kind of jumped out at you during those postseason play? Oh yeah, Rose Bowl, Rose Bowl hands down, and that's because and that's like we talked about that from the beginning of the season, and Coach D had went down there in the beginning before that season had started, and when he kind of put it spoken to fruition, and that that was one of the, I mean the best seasons and bowl games that we you know we ever played in. That a lot of guys ain't never never been to Cali, never flew that far to Cali to be able to go that far and and and, and see Cali. My parents came down there to see Cali and then playing in that Rose Bowl. And then not even planning and winning it. And then Rich Homie Quan to, to, to top it off, Rich Homie Quan, who son we were rapping the whole time throughout the season. He's on stage with us when we win. So it was just like a it was it was surreal and like it just played out perfect. And if you wanted the season to play out perfect, that was like a perfect season for us. Besides losing losing to, to Notre Dame that year. How did he end up on stage? Did you he like hop on the bandwagon and just I think, hit him I think up? Darquez, Darquez from was is from Georgia. And somehow Darquez and him had I don't know how it happened. And I never knew it was happening, but I, they kind of linked up and he was in Cali or something. And we was up there singing a song and then he pop up and we sing it was and he pop up and he sing the song with us. He in the locker room, we singing the song with us. So I think I think Darquez had something to do with that. All right. So obviously that's a great memory for you, that whole experience. What else sticks out if you could point to one or two uh, memories that are really vivid to this day from your entire career at Michigan State? Uh, what jumps out at you? Uh, it's that's it's a, it's so many, man. So I, know, I was putting you on the spot too, but that's what I'm saying. It's, it'll go back to that year, I guess, the, that Big Ten championship game because Ohio State come in number two, and we come in. I don't know, we we not going to the national championship, but Ohio State number two, and then we see them on the bus. It's like they celebrating for the game, for the season, even for they even play it. Like they going to national championship. So that, so beating them was a was a huge moment for us. And even I mean that in that bowl game, my senior year with Tony and everybody, that Baylor game, we down twenty one, we down twenty one late. I think what late in the third quarter. It's they already ruled us out, and we come back and win that game from just everybody making plays from from defense to offense. So that was another big moment for me right there. So just those two right there for sure stick out for me. So you guys were kind of in the golden age of, of that era of Michigan State football. Obviously, a big change happened this past offseason, and it was a surprise to, to a lot of people. So what were your thoughts when Coach D announced he was leaving, and what was kind of the general reaction among you and some of the guys that you uh, you ran with in those days? Oh, it was definitely surprising, because I know before he was saying that he was going – he was staying another year. When people was already thinking about you know, him retiring, he was saying he's going to stay another year. So when he retired, it, it, it was it was definitely caught us all by surprise, and, he, you know – and that's times you wish you would have went up to Michigan State a little bit more and seen him or whatever. Wish you would have been up there a little bit more. But at the same time, you know, the school, the program is a lot is, is is bigger than that than the coach. So when the program, you got to keep the program going. And I think I heard um, Coach Tucker is a great guy. He's going to do a, you know keep that that same tradition going, which is big. And that's just the program. The program got to keep moving because that's what it's all about. All right, want to move it along now to your post MSU career and and. Uh, all the experiences since then. So just starting the, in the draft time period after you graduated um, or after you left school, um, 
you know, you had 18 touchdowns in your, your last seven games. You had a, a bunch of 100-plus yard games. I think 18 out of 22 um, games that you, you racked up over 100 yards. So fourth-round pick, did you feel like you were still kind of undervalued coming out of college, or did you think going fourth round of the Bears was about right? Uh, I'm, I'm in between with that a lot, man. Like, it's, a lot of times to be able to get drafted is, is a blessing because a lot of guys, you know, that, that want, expect to get drafted or want to get drafted, you know, don't. But at the same time, I did feel like I was undervalued. You know, I feel like I would have should have went a little higher, but that's, it was a lot of running backs to come out of there, even in Big Ten in general, because it was Amir Abdullah, Melvin Gordon, Tevin Coleman, uh, David Cobb, and that's that's just the ones I can name on top of my head. It was definitely a larger class, but I but I, I went where I was supposed to go, and I'm happy where I went in the draft. Yeah, so I'm curious about that first experience in the NFL and, and the, the first organization you played for is – I'm a Chicago guy. I'm in Chicago right now, Bears fan. I remember you playing for the Bears. Um, and it was during some tough years for the Bears. It was during a, a rebuild, the John Fox era, where offense wasn't really his expertise, in my opinion. I don't know if, if you guys felt the same way, but how do you feel about your time with the Bears? Do you think, um, you know, with different timing, you might still still be on the squad, or do you think it all kind of just worked out the way it was supposed to? Yeah, that's how I am. I think I think a lot of things work out the way it's supposed to because I was behind. Like I said, another great running back, Matt Forte, who not only is a great running back and great per, great player on the field, but is a you know awesome person off the field. And I feel like I got a, a little bit from that, and that's that's that was I I really soak that in a lot. But it worked out the way it's supposed to, and I wish you know sometimes I wish it would end up different. But I, at this day, I love Chicago, and I think. For me, only being four hours from Chicago and living in Michigan town, that was my first time I'd ever been in Chicago. And they love their sports. They love their sports to, to death. And I really love Chicago just from 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 now to the end from, from being there. I really love Chicago a lot. Yeah, man. I wish I wish we could have seen you, you know, under the the new offensive minded coaches and Matt Nagy and all those guys yeah, and you know, up upscale offense, up speed. And um, you know, it would have been fun. But uh, you know, a little better injury luck, maybe that could have happened. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, with everything going on in you know, the world right now and with players deciding whether they're going to remain in the league for a year, or opt out due to the pandemic and all the uh, social justice causes that have risen up, just as an athlete yourself, what do you, what do you kind of wish fans maybe knew about what it's like playing at that level that they might not realize? Because I feel like, you know, a lot of fans that you'll see on social media, they'll be like, what are these players whining about? They get paid millions. What are these college athletes complaining about? They get scholarships. Like, what's something you just wish fans could see from your perspective? Uh, uh it's because you, especially in the pros, I think it's really, it's a, it's a business. So you got, you know, it's 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 fun. It's it's funner than maybe than a lot of other jobs. But at the end of the day, it is a business, and I feel like every player takes this got to go about it as their that's they their self as a business. So that's what I think a lot of players are doing, and which a lot of I think fans don't realize that it, that it is a business. They just realize they're watching it and it's fun. But just how the, how owners go about their business and, and make decisions for them for themselves and for their team, players do should, should do the same thing and are doing the same thing as well. And that's the and that's really the biggest the biggest part of it. And yes, I we love football and we're definitely happy to have football and be able to get paid that much. But at the end of the day, it's all about it's all about business, and that's what. I think a lot of fans should, should realize a lot more about that. Yeah, agreed. Um, so I mentioned at the top, the last kind of football-related headline that had your name in it was you signed with the CFL team. 
in Saskatchewan. Are you still uh, staying in shape, trying to stay football ready? What's your What's your football status like at this point? Uh, yes, I'm, that's why my mindset always been just stay ready, so I don't have to get ready and trying to rush it. And you know, I think that's a lot of re re reason why you know I did have those injuries because I was you know hitting something else and I wasn't quite ready. So now I'm just. I think my, my, you know, last, these next couple of years, just really staying ready. And whenever they, they do get a call or decide to do it this year or not, I just always stay, you know, try to stay in there. And my younger brother played football. So, I, you know, he in high school, so I work out with him. And my other one's in college, so I work out with him. So I got a lot of, you know, other players around me, young, younger players that I work out with all the time to be able to stay in that, that football shape and be ready when, when that time comes. All right, Jeremy, before we wrap up, I do have a couple non-football questions for you. Uh, curious about what you've been up to, you know, outside of working out. How are you occupying your time besides the whole uh, food business? Like you've been watching NBA games out in the bubble, you know, what kind of movies, shows you've been watching. Just fill me in on what's going on outside of sports. Uh, okay. Yeah, but outside of the, you know, sports and, and uh, the restaurant business, I guess I, my home, one of my homeboys do podcasts. So I've been, I've been with him a couple of times. Tony Lippett, he do a podcast. Yeah. And we, I'm be working with him with that, with, with that. Uh, I, and I love, I love Netflix. You know, I think, I really think sometimes Netflix just sponsors me in a certain way. Cause I, even my friends, I'm telling people TV shows all the time. And I, and I recently just finished The Office, which I wasn't a big fan of it before, but then I watched it again. And I, I watched The Office and CIS. I got so many shows that I watch on Netflix and I play, and I play the game. I play, I play Warzone maybe too much sometimes. But I'm starting stream, so I'm starting, you know, use that as a, as another platform. Just not playing for fun, but I I love Warzone right now, uh, and that's really just that's my time right there. Besides the restaurant, uh, watching Netflix and, and and playing Warzone, and I you know read different books and now that's really it. I try to my my best to stay in the house with with everything going on. So that's the ways, the kind of the what different ways I'm doing that right now. You saw all the office. Have you seen uh? Parks and Recreation too. That's kind of the other like. I never seen Park. People had people tell me watch it yet. I haven't. I haven't made there yet though. I like The Office a lot. I think Parks and Rec is funnier. So like, really? I definitely recommend at least trying it out and make sure you watch past the first season because the first season is not as good, but the rest is great. So yeah, I'm, I'm gonna check it out. That's how I was The Office. I watched The Office, and then I had, then I'm like, man, I don't really like it. Then I came back and watched it again. And and Dwight, I think he's the the funniest person, in, <laughs> the funniest person dog in the, in the world right now. He's hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, Dwight's good. I feel like Parks and Rec is like that, except they have, like, The Office, I think, missed on some characters. Like, Dwight's funny, but some other ones, I'm like, eh. Parks and Rec, oh, yeah. I think, nails, like, almost every character. So that's, and that's, that's what it is, too, though, because I think they do have some – they do have a couple characters, and some of like, you don't really care much about. That makes sense. Though. I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to give it a try. Are, do, you like, do you like Pam? Because that's kind of been the thing since The Office ended, is, like, everyone is kind of woke on the fact that Pam kind of sucks as a person. Like, she cheated on – on uh, oh, Roy, and she just like is is needy and all this stuff. So she looks so thoughts? innocent though. She looks. She that's the, the thing. She just they did a good job of her making her seem like she just seemed so innocent. But her and um, I forget the other dude name that she, she married. Yeah, they them two together are, are good, and she does get a little irritated, especially at the end when he trying mm -hmm. to you know better better his lifestyle and better. And she just crying. I'm like, oh my god. But it just it. But that's what it, it sucks you in, and you get like you get really involved and attached to it. Though that's why another reason why I did like. It. It sounds like Netflix could sponsor your own, you know, podcast. Just office reviews yeah, with Jeremy could, Lake. I, I tell everybody about all the shows on that on Netflix, man. All right, last question, Jeremy. Uh, this is an important one. So you mentioned you love Chicago still. I, I imagine you got out to to eat a little bit in the city, but um, I'm also going to ask 
you know, compare it to your hometown or what's near and dear to your heart now, would you go Chicago pizza or Detroit-style pizza? Chicago pizza. And people, I love Chicago pizza. Luminati's, I love, I love Luminati. That's my fav, my favorite spot. Even, yeah, I love, I love Chicago-style pizza. So, Alan Robinson, who's been on the show, uh, I think I asked him the same question. He went with the Detroit-style, like, pan pizza. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I, you're on I, our side, I like, As I said, now, I like, I love pizza in general, though, because I actually, I love New York-style pizza, too, because I was in New York for a minute, and I love the way they, I like the different styles everybody had. But Chicago, I just, it just, like, it's really cooked. They really take their time with it. It is, like, a whole different, different, different taste to me. So, rank it, then. Rank Chicago, New York, Detroit-style. Yeah, that's that's tough. Man. I'm I'm gonna go Chicago, then I go Detroit, then I go New York. But then New York's them them slices in New York, they, they are. I'm not a big fan of the thinner pieces, but the way they're so big, you can fold them. Mm -hmm. It's it's delicious. So those and they're like a dollar. You can just get them like anywhere for a dollar. So yeah, they delicious. Man, delicious. Agreed. Uh, all right, Jeremy. You know, like I said, I'm gonna have to go get a snack real quick because. <laughs> a lot of good food talk on the pod, but uh, appreciate you jumping on, man. It's been a lot of fun catching up. Wishing you the best of luck in all your ventures and hope to see you uh, back on the football field again soon. Oh, yeah, appreciate it, man. Like I said, thanks for having me. You have, you have a good one. All right, thanks once again to Jeremy for joining the show. Really uh, fun catching up with him. You know, I wish it would have worked out with him on the Bears longer term. Um, you know, it's one of those things. I think he got hurt and then... Uh, Jordan Howard, who was drafted a year or two later, came in, started, and um, got the more starting snaps after after Jeremy went down. But obviously, that interview, nice guy, rooting for him, and um, you know, hopefully we will see him back on the field, whether that's in the CFL or at um, the highest level. So thanks again, Jeremy. Um, we'll toss it over now to my discussion with former Northwestern volleyball player, Emily Eman. Emily, as we'll get to in the show, and as, as we um, really discuss in depth coming up here, was a four-year player at Northwestern, um, also is a journalism grad from the Medill School, and she was a former BTN intern as well, so that's my connection to her. She worked in our department in the summer of 2019 and uh, did really impressive work for us and has since continued to grow her media career by hosting a web series called Big Ten Volleyball Talk. Um, talking Big Ten Volleyball, obviously, and she's just getting that off the ground, but it's been uh, cool to see, especially in the pandemic era when sports content, live sports, have been pretty much uh, erased until a couple of weeks ago here. So I'll let Emily tell you more about it and about her background. It's a Take 10 podcast discussion with Emily Eamon. starts right now. All right. I'm very pleased to be joined by former Northwestern volleyball player, former BTN intern as well. She's the host <laughs> of Big Ten Volley Talk. It's Emily Eamon. Emily, thanks for joining. How are you? Good. I'm just sitting in my basement. I'm hanging out. How's it going for you? I'm doing all right. And I got to say, you're already kind of showing me up on my own show <laughs> because your backdrop is way better you have the branding and everything you got the volleyball and um you know for anyone watching on youtube right now they can see it but anyone listening 
take my word for it. Um, you've got the pro set up and you're making me look like a bum, so. <laughs> well, it's funny, I a lot of my sports media friends have been like, oh, your, your setup's awesome, it looks really good. And I'm like, you have no idea what this actually looks like. I have my laptop set up on a Settlers of Catan game and a puzzle, so. <laughs> You'd that's be kinda, surprised. Yeah, that's work from home setup. Um, mine's gradually gotten better, but I'm still on a couch. So that's about <laughs> as good as it's gonna get. Um, we at least have some good lighting now in my, my work from home setup. And you know you know the struggle because you are involved in the podcast game. You're doing your own show, like I mentioned at the top. So let's just start there with the discussion. We'll get into like your background and introduce you a little yeah. more in just a moment. But um, how did you decide to launch the show Big Ten Volley Talk and you know what in your playing career and also media background led to this venture? Yeah you know I think since the coronavirus pandemic hit I think um, we're seeing a lot more of what athletes do kind of off the court rather than on the court. I think it's a it was a really cool opportunity um, to see these athletes in a different light you know they're not on the court hitting big swings or you know dunking the ball there off the court doing what they love to do and you're getting um, a look into their hobbies and stuff. And so for me, I was like, well, I want to showcase this um, in the best way I know how, which is through volleyball. And a big thing for me has always been to try to be a champion for women's sports. So I think women's volleyball especially does not get the recognition that it deserves. And so I thought that, you know, starting this web show with the contacts that I have right now, um, being a recent Northwestern volleyball graduate kind of led me to do something to showcase these girls and coaches and whomever, um, in a cool way and let you get to know them better than on the court. So it started as kind of me having absolutely nothing to do and sitting around with my mom um, every day. And then I realized I should probably like get going and make some professional moves while I can. So yeah, I kind of just started this and it's, it's like taken off nicely. It's cool to hear, um, you know, friends, family reach out, but then people that I don't know being like, this is a really cool, um, Thing I love hearing from these girls, these coaches, and I've, I've received a lot of positive feedback, so it's been good. Yeah, and it's a niche that, you know, needs filling. The, the, the appetite is there. I think we at BTN know that, but sometimes mm -hmm. uh, just the, the bandwidth isn't there to necessarily give fans what they want, and it's good that you're entering that space. So where can Big Ten fans find uh, this volleyball content? You know, how do you find Big Ten Volley Talk. And if I'm not mistaken, you also are uh, linked up now with a, a volleyball mag, right? Yeah. So I sort of took it upon myself. I wanted to get a bigger reach. So I just kind of cold emailed the editor of Volleyball Mag, um, Lee Feinswag, and was like, hey, I think I can really up your digital game and kind of help you guys out. So he immediately called me and was like, this is a great idea. I love this. So I've been running it as kind of a digital series for them so you can find it on volleyballmag.com um, it's released every Tuesday and then also on Big Ten Volley Talk on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook so yeah love it so you know you said you you got into this um, kind of to, to fill the void not only in sports but just with your own you know times and I don't think we've mentioned it but you did just graduate from Northwestern, you are a recent grad. So how is post-grad life kind of treating you in the pandemic? Because it's such a weird time to be entering the workforce and you know, kind of making a transition in your life. So how's that all playing out for you? You know, it's, it's been bittersweet. I think for me, um, I wanted to take some time off after graduation to kind of like settle down. I wanted to travel a little bit. Obviously that's not really happening. Um, but it's actually been really nice to kind of be at home. Just being a Division One Big Ten athlete, it's not 
common that you have a lot of time at home other than maybe winter break but a lot of times during winter break I'm kind of traveling and doing stuff anyway so having the last like four or five months to hang out with my mom with my dad um, and whoever has been really nice to have some downtime it is very hard to find a job though I will say obviously um, you know I'm still job searching and applying for a lot of different positions trying to get into sports media which is not the best market right now um, so it's been it's been really nice to have some downtime, uh, but I'm glad things are starting to kind of open back up and opportunities are opening up and hopefully something will land soon. I've been there, trust me. Um, you know, not in a <laughs> pandemic, I guess, but the, the sports media venture, you know, and kind of the uncertainty after graduation, um, waiting for something to come along. So, you know, keep at it, keep plugging. It sounds like you've already had way more success than I would ever would have had in that period, <laughs> especially getting picked up by publication, just, you know, launching your your uh, site from scratch so that's that's good stuff um, I think something sorry I'm gonna jump in something yeah, that ahead. like I've kind of been figuring out is a lot of times you just have to make your own opportunities you have to see um, you know what you're good at what your niche is and then kind of fill that void um, and make your own opportunities for it because a lot of times especially right now someone's not just kind of gonna come along and give you that so I've been trying to make my own opportunities and making the most of it yeah and another edge I think you have on some of your peers is going to Northwestern, right? You, you're uh, at one of the best sports uh, journalism institutions in the, the country, in the world, and it also intersected with your playing career. So how did your life as a volleyball player kind of blend with your desire to be in sports media, you interned for BTN, like I said, so how did those universes kind of merge? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I have known exactly what I wanted to do since I was like 10 years old, um, which I know is very uncommon. So I remember, you know, growing up in Bloomington, Indiana, and being around IU athletics and just absolutely loving sports, whether that was watching them playing in them, I played pretty much every sport out there. Um, I knew I wanted to be in sports media since I was 10. So I knew that I was gonna have to work really hard to get into a really good journalism school. So I, I mean, for recruiting at least, I kind of took the approach of, I'm gonna go visit these schools and see if I like them and then try to play, play volleyball there. So, I mean, for me, Northwestern was like, obviously it was my dream school. Um, you have the best of both worlds with Big Ten athletics and then incredible academics. So I um, visited Northwestern, loved it, and then kind of reached out to the coaches and it ended up working out for me. But at the same time, um, I'm a walk, I was a walk on at Northwestern. So, you know, I had to like work really hard for everything I got. I think that kind of blends into how I approach sports media. I think being, you know, maybe not the best volleyball player in the gym, I had to work really hard um, off the court or in the weight room or whatever to get those opportunities um, given to me. So I think it, it's helping now with that mentality of like, I have to grind a lot harder than all these people. You know, I don't have a job specifically in sports media right now, but I have to work really hard to get that or to open up any opportunity I can. Um, it's hard because everyone coming into athletics, college athletics, especially at like a big 10 school, you're coming in as the best in your school, the best in your state, potentially even the best in the country. And you're around all the people who are the, in the exact same situation. So, you know, you realize you have to work a lot harder. And so for me, that was hard because I had to work extra, extra hard um, just to, you know, keep my spot and, you know, get those two minutes of playing time, a game or whatever it may be. Um, so I think that kind of helps me now in my ventures because I'm working extra hard. I'm trying to, you know, work harder in whatever it may be just to get that like extra leg up. So did you 
arrive at Northwestern not having a spot on the team or did you kind of did those decisions go hand in hand like when did you know no, I, you were I did. Be able to walk on yeah I actually I committed uh, junior year which it was funny it, it sounds really early but in volleyball it was actually sort of late I was the last person in my class to commit um, at the end of my junior year so yeah I knew I was um, coming in so I had a year my senior year to kind of you know I didn't have to like scramble and find a spot um yeah, I, I mean, I started recruiting the recruitment process really early. I wanted to kind of figure it out early so I could kind of coast through that senior year. Um, but, you know, I still had to work really hard. I went to a – I played at a club that was over an hour away. So I made that switch to know that I, would get, well, I was going to get a lot more exposure and be um, exposed to these big recruiting coaches at uh, big-time schools. So, yeah, I, I knew that coming in um, way prior. <laughs> So you were an intern in my department. So, you know, I have your resume, so I'm, I'm going to go through it now. <laughs> and I wanted you to tell me about some of the experiences. Okay. Um, Chicago Fire's on there, obviously BTN, Newsy. What have you been able to take from each of your media experiences outside of volleyball to, you know, now apply into your job search? Yeah, I think um, for me, it's really important for me to understand kind of the back end of sports media. So the producing, the writing, all of that, rather than just jumping on air. I think it helps so much if you have experience in producing, in writing, in um, directing all of that before you kind of understand what it takes to be good on air, like what it takes to look good on air and sound good on air. Um, so I've kind of taken those experiences, like with Chicago Fire, I learned how to edit really well. So I learned how to, you know, go through Adobe Premiere and make stuff look good, um, figure out the ways to handle a social media and digital media platform for a professional sports organization. And then um, with you guys, I kind of figure out how to do that on a broader um, scale. So for like a network. And then I went to Newsy, which was kind of a 180 and I didn't really do anything with sports. Um, it was more just political news and just general news that you would see on you know, CNN or Fox or wherever. So I think for me, it's, it's good to have a good grasp of every side of um, media, whether that's sports, whether that's not, to apply to sports media in the future. If I'm not mistaken, weren't you kind of producing like content during the season, at least during your senior season since I've known you last year? I feel like you were posting, you know, maybe on Instagram or Instagram stories, kind of showing, maybe it was just like, you just got good <laughs> at, you know, making it all artsy and stuff. Um, just by nature of your experience, but it seemed like you put out a lot of content kind of surrounding your actual experience on the team. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, I've always said, I think the best way in the sports um, right now for people our age is social media. And if you can get to know the athletes better then you're going to follow those athletes, which means you're following the team, which means you're following the sport. So for me, I think if you get to know these athletes better, you know, you get to know me better, you get to know people on my team better, you're going to like our team more. So if you have a bigger and better social media presence, people are going to like your team more and they're going to follow your team, which of course, you know, means more sales and more money coming into that program um, and just viewership of that team or of volleyball in general. So I think, yeah, for us, it has always been um, a big goal of ours to increase our following in social media and have these players get to know us, you know, talk to them after games, sign autographs with them, make TikToks with them, whatever it is. But if they can get to know us and they're going to follow us more and they're going to follow volleyball more. Yeah. Northwestern, I think has always done a really good job too, just across the board in their athletic department of mm -hmm. highlighting the athletes, like you said, making the production really crisp, clean. 
um, really going, you know, going above and beyond. And, and it's not just because they have the journalism workshop there. I think they have a really smart and, um, you know, determined social media team, whether it's on the volleyball team like you guys or basketball. So just want to give them a shout out for doing. Yeah, our, uh, yeah, our videos production. Here our video production people are insane they create the coolest things um they're yeah they're absolutely incredible for sure and one other interesting story that's popped up in you know the last couple months but also at btn in the last couple of weeks is the omar jimenez situation and it was interesting that obviously he went to northwestern but i didn't know that he was on the basketball team at northwestern i didn't um, either until i yeah. saw that and i was and, like whoa and we just did a feature on him and it was really good. Um, it's on YouTube now that, that people can go and watch and find it and kind of documents his athletic career um, as opposed to his journalism career. So just what was your reaction to seeing him go through what he went through, you know, being arrested in Minneapolis, kind of being elevated to an even higher platform, higher than his, his CNN role and, you know, doing that on the stage as a former Northwestern athlete and learning about it kind of in real time, like you and I both did. Yeah, I mean, I think, unfortunately, um, it's a situation that brought to light a lot of these problems that are, you know, people are facing in their society, um, whether they're involved in sports or not. I think just being, like, as he said, being a black man, it's hard in America right now. And watching him go through that, but then also knowing that he was a part of the Northwestern Athletics community kind of hit home a lot, um, harder for a lot of us. I mean, you have a lot of people that are from communities where, you know, police violence is very prevalent and it's happening all the time. I think it was really cool to see Northwestern basketball and Northwestern athletics kind of rally behind him and show support. Um, I think it's so important right now for these athletic departments and coaches, especially just to, you know, stay behind their athletes and create kind of a society and conversations where that's like not normal. And, you know, we're supporting these people. Um, so yeah, it was, of course, like, I mean, it was heartbreaking. The last few months have been heartbreaking, but it was really cool to see the response from so many of my peers and just Northwestern Athletics as a whole to rally behind him. His whole ordeal kind of aside, um, it, it made me feel pretty unaccomplished when I realized he was 26 and I'm 26 <laughs> and I'm pretty sure we were in the same grade and, you know, he's at he's at CNN and uh, doing all that. So, you know, <laughs> you still have three years to get there. I'm, he's already left yeah. me. <laughs> I mean, hey, he could be on his couch right now doing a podcast too. Who knows? <laughs> Very true. Um, all right. You know, we talk about the current events and everything, you know, how wild this summer and this year has been. Um, and now it's starting to get real again. I, I think everyone kind of hit some sort of cruise control over the summer um, as far as the effects of pandemic. But now that the academic year is coming up, especially for Northwestern, um, actually, no, Northwestern is later. But especially for, you know, college athletes across the Big Ten, it's going to be a challenge, right, to get these sports off the ground. So as a fall sport athlete and knowing, I'm sure, quite a few of your teammates who are still there, um, what do you think is going through their heads right now? And how do you think you would react if you were still in school with the uncertainty of fall sports still kind of looming? Yeah, I, I think it's, I mean, obviously I'm, first of all, just very thankful to not have to deal with this. I think I graduated at a really good time, but it's so heartbreaking just to, you know, talking to my teammates or talking to my friends on various teams um, that play in the fall. And it's like, it's so hard on them right now. Like 
you know, our, our football guys are going into camp potentially this week and not even knowing whether they're going to get through camp to have a season or if they do get through camp, they might not even have um, a season. So I think just emphasizing that it's really mentally tough on them um, and has been since, you know, since March, since April, just the looming question of just not knowing. Um, I think for me, if I were a fall sport athlete, I think it's, you know, they have the option now to opt out. I think it kind of depends on what kind of athlete you are. And either way, it doesn't really matter. But I think it's, you know, we see the D2 and D3 championships um, canceled. So if D1 gets canceled, you kind of have to think about, has your life goal been to play in an NCAA tournament to potentially win an NCAA championship? Or do you just want to play? Um, And either way, I don't think it matters. But it, you know, it depends. Like at Northwestern, our goal is always to make the NCAA tournament. We're a team that hadn't made it for a really long time. And that's been a huge goal of ours. So if they cancel that, then it's kind of, you know, you have to reassess your goals that you've had for four years. So I don't know. I mean, it's, it's really hard. It's, it, it's just, it seems tough. You know, you have football releasing their schedule saying they're starting September 5th, which is like basically two weeks after all these other big 10 teams are starting school. So you have all these students coming back and then two weeks later, you're supposed to play a game. You know, I don't, I don't know how realistic that looks, but you know, I'm not a health professional. I don't really know. Um, It's just hard. You know, you're talking about the health and safety of these like what 500 student athletes, but then you have to think about their impact on the communities around them, their families around them. Again, with like the coaches and staff, it's affecting so many more people than just the people on the field, the people on the court, you know, you kind of have to think about everyone involved and that includes the communities that they're in. Um, But I don't know. Now we're seeing, you know, the big 10 players United coming forward with like proposals that they want done. Um, I don't know. I think if, if this pandemic and everything has taught us anything, I think it's that we really need to listen to these athletes and they have a bigger platform than a lot of people think. Um, and we really need to listen to them. So I don't know if I were a student athlete right now, I would not be that in the happiest situation. Um, but I think it's really cool that, you know, people are using their voice and coming forward and finally kind of being heard. Yeah, very well said. I agree that I think it's been encouraging. We talked about even with Omar that, a lot of schools have been lifting up, I think, the voices of, of their athletes and former athletes and, and listening. So that's, that's all. It's definitely been a positive. And you mentioned, you know, you didn't really, or you're, you're glad you're not in school still right now because you'd be missing <laughs> out and your, you know, your college experience would definitely be tainted. I'm glad, you know, that I'm not in either of those situations, not in school or a recent grad like yourself. So, like, I definitely feel bad for people who are trying to get into the workforce right now. So, what is some of the best advice, you know, you've received, maybe whether it's from a professor, a mentor, you know, a coach, um, it doesn't even have to be pertaining to the current events, but like, what is something that you have heard and leaned on and has kept you going? Um, I think, like I said before, sometimes you have to make your own opportunities. Sometimes um, things aren't just going to be handed to you, especially in a pandemic. So you have to kind of figure out what you're good at and make your own opportunity, whether that's creating a web show or whether that's, you know, just networking with someone. I think the biggest thing you can do is try to create those spaces in which you can thrive. So, um, you know, creating your own opportunities has been huge for me in the last few months, whether, you know, whether it's going to pay off or not, I don't really know. But just the fact that I'm kind of grinding it out and, you know, putting my head down and getting through it has been um, really big to keep going. And then at the same time, you know, knowing to take a break. I think 
for me, um, I've been a big advocate for, you know, destigmatizing mental health and everything that goes along with that. So knowing when to kind of take time off and do whatever you need to do to get your mental state right um, is huge. So yeah, making, making your own opportunities and then kind of knowing when to take a break. Yeah. And looking back, you know, we won't be all gloom and doom here. Looking back, what was <laughs> your favorite memory from, or maybe, you know, favorite memory or two from your career and uh, your four years at Northwestern? Oh, um, okay. I'm going to give both volleyball related, but I'll give one off the court and I'll give one on the court. So on the court, very easy. I think um, my senior night was so much fun. I, we, oh, I you're an Illinois grad. I forgot about this. So we played Illinois in my senior night, had never beaten them in the four years that I was there, had only taken one set off them. Um, we came in and beat Illinois in four sets. And it was like one of the coolest games in my career. We had a huge crowd, um, which usually isn't typical for senior night because it falls um, right after Thanksgiving. So usually there's no, there's just not a big crowd there. So we had huge crowd. It was super loud. We're playing in Walsh Ryan Arena, the coolest place ever, um, beating our rival Illinois and just like storming the court and being so excited. Um, you know, knowing that my career is over, but at the same time ending on such a high note was so cool. So that was definitely my on the court favorite memory. Off the court, um, started off as not a very good situation so we're coming home from Indiana and you know Bloomington is like four and a half hours from Evanston so we're pretty much exactly halfway through in the middle of nowhere Indiana um like I've seen the middle of nowhere in Indiana and this was like the actual middle of nowhere so our bus breaks down it's like 80 degrees out so our bus is like super hot it's like 90 degrees we all decide that we think it's a good idea to like hang out outside for the next three hours while we have a new bus driving in from Evanston. So we basically were hanging out outside with like um, two of our assistant coaches and just hanging out, you know, telling jokes, doing whatever, making TikToks or whatever people do. Um, and it was like, it was just so fun. And one of those memories that like, you kind of don't really think about in college athletics, you know, you think about like, going to practice every day and playing in these fun games but like for me it was always like traveling that was so fun and the bus rides or like staying in the hotel or plane rides that made it really fun and I think it was a it was a really fun unfortunate kind of time for our team to like come together and have a lot of fun mid-season when it's like becoming a big grind so it was a good time to kind of let loose and have fun with our coaches. <laughs> you also picked a pretty good time four years wise to go to Northwestern and be a student there. I mean, big 10 championship game, birth in football, uh, mm -hmm. NCAA tournament appearance in basketball. You guys got a new arena in time, you know, for you to, to play in it. Um, so that was, you know, that had to be pretty cool. What, what stood out, you know, as far as observing some of the historic achievements of your, your peers there? Yeah, I think the one that sticks out to me is the women's basketball team last year um, when right, we did the championship. That, I mean, I, well, one, I have so many friends on that team. It was so cool to see them for how hard they work during the day um, and at night and every, every time of the day. But seeing them win that Big Ten championship was so cool. I mean, they, like I said, they work so hard. Um, and I think it really just brought to light how good um, some of the women's sports teams are at Northwestern. And, you know, we talk about them not getting as much credit as the football team or basketball team, men's basketball team. Um, but it was really cool to see like 
such a good women's team that does get a decent amount of recognition, take that one step further. Um, obviously, it was really unfortunate they couldn't have an NCAA um, birth, but it was that was really, really cool to me and see them kind of, you know, shoot women's sports for Northwestern forward a little bit. Where did you guys play during the season where they were renovating Welsh Ryan? Was it Evanston High School? Yeah, we played at ETHS, um, Beardsley Wild Gym, kids, right? I believe. Wild Kids, yeah. I mean, they it was they did the best they could with it. I think, you know, they redid the floors. They put in really cool jumbotrons. Um, you know, we're a, we're a team that doesn't get, a, like, a huge amount of fans. You know, we're not getting the same as men's basketball amount of fans at a game. But it was really cool because in that gym, it's a lot smaller and intimate. So they really, like, filled the crowd up. Um, it was really loud. It was like 90 degrees in there every day, but they definitely, um, I mean, we made the most of it and I think it definitely paid off now playing in Walsh Ryan Arena. It's so cool. For sure. They did a great job renovating that spot. <laughs> um, I can't believe it's taken this long for me to bring this up, but uh, you, you come from a sports background and a sports family. Um, your, your uncle, I believe, is Dan Dockich. The, you know, big, any Big Ten fan listening will be familiar with that name. Uh, cousin then would be Andrew Dockish, who's currently on the staff at Ohio State. Um, you clearly have some similarities, right? The the age to be in sports media, sports journalism, but you're also different in, in some ways. Um, you know, in as far as your your pursuits and your sports that you cover and all that. Um, so, you know, what's it like having such a, a prominent? We'll put it that way: prominent Big Ten. Uh, figure in your family especially with some of the heat that he gets like on social media for Big Ted fans. Yeah <laughs> yeah he's I mean he's one of my favorite people um it it really he's inspired me to kind of go into sports media I would say I mean I grew up um when he I was in I think fourth or fifth grade when he was actually the head coach at IU and so that was sort of when I was figuring out that I really wanted to do this so you know we would go in um to former assembly hall all the time and play like hide and seek in there with my cousins or do stuff like that and you know I got to know some of the reporters there at such a young age and then now having him um as such a prominent figure in big 10 sports media you know he's been such a obviously a huge resource to me it's fun watching him um do games or listening to him on the radio you know I love listening to all his hot takes and I love his little twitter fights as dumb as they may be um but he, I mean, at the end of the day, he's like, he is such a good guy. Like, I think, I think it was, yes, a few days ago, he like bought a bunch of bikes for these kids um, in the area and just let them ride around, whatever, gave them bikes. And it was like the most heartwarming thing ever. Um, but sports wise, it's, I mean, with Andrew too, it's been really cool to kind of watch Andrew go through Michigan and then go through Ohio State and now be a coach. Um, he's sort of the same role player that I was. So, you know, he was like bench mob captain and kind of doing all these things to hype the team up um, and it was really fun watching him do that and then seeing kind of what he did he did to lead his team not on the court um, which is something that like I took in a lot at Northwestern um, and now I mean now it's just nice to have them as a resource and you know talk to them about whatever sports you know issues or advice I can get you know I my mom and dad didn't play college sports like barely kind of well my dad my dad played rugby at IU but my mom it wasn't the biggest like sports figure. So it's nice having them as a resource to talk to, you know, when I want to talk sports or talk sports media or kind of anything. Yeah. As time goes along here, you guys are just going to keep expanding that mini empire. You know, you guys have a, <laughs> a hold on big 10 sports right now. Um, we'll see. You, 
Yeah, you, so you mentioned, I want to wrap up, um, but before I do, uh, I want to definitely get to your background upbringing in another Big Ten city in Bloomington. You just, you just touched on it there. Um, so clearly you spent a lot of time in at least two Big Ten cities. So we'll just compare the two right now. You know, I am different because I stayed in the, the college town that I grew up in and went to school there. You know, you have split loyalties here. So <laughs> let's just start with Bloomington and Evanston. Um, you know, Evanston, kind of the suburb feel. Bloomington is a lot of people's like quintessential college town. Mm-hmm. So which one has the better food scene, would you say? Ooh. I will say out of most Midwestern cities I've been to, Bloomington has the best ethnic food, which sounds kind of crazy, but there's so there's so there's a street called Fourth Street and it's basically all or most of the like ethnic food cuisine that like they have and it sounds crazy getting like really good ethnic food food in a you know Midwestern Bloomington, Indiana um, town, but it's so good. I think it's hard because if I want really good food for the most part, I'll probably go into Chicago. So I guess food wise, I'm going to have to go with Bloomington. You're making me miss Bloomington a little bit because I would have been <laughs> there this week for our annual bus tour. Obviously that Ooh. was disrupted, but um, yeah, usually we would stop and it's one of those weeks where there's no students at all. So we kind of have our pick of everything, mm-hmm. walk right in. Um, so I'm wishing, you know, that obviously wouldn't have got called off, but looking forward to getting back. Um, yeah. Next category, which town has better scenery? Because everybody likes to talk about how great Bloomington is with the limestone and their, their mm-hmm. quad and the, the little pathways they got going on there with the sample gates. Um, but then you have Evanston right on the lake and you can kind of see the skyline if you're at the right angle. And it, you know, it's, it's pretty nice, at least in the summertime months. So if you had to pick between the two, where would you go with? That's so hard. I, so I've grown up, I've seen a lot of college campuses. Um, before going to Evanston, I definitely will say Bloomington and I, Indiana University's campus is like the prettiest campus I've ever seen. I think it's okay. So Evanston has, you know, they have the lake, they have the rocks, you have Chicago in the background, but I think IU's campus is the buildings themselves are cooler and prettier. It's also bigger and it has like kind of cool pathways going into woods and all that. Um, I, over, hmm. If you're going for like a spectacular view, I'm going to say Evanston. I think nothing really beats sitting on the rocks and looking over Chicago. I think if you're walking through campus, I'm going to go with Bloomington. Yeah. What's the, um, What's the building? Is it the Kellogg building that's next to the football field at yeah. Northwestern? Yeah, their business school. It's crazy. You go into some of the offices up there. Um, we've like snuck around and, and gone in there to try and get some some shots, some scenic shots during the mm-hmm. our bus tour stop there. And like, I, I just imagine some of these Northwestern big shots bringing in like colleagues from out of town and sitting in these conference rooms. And like, somehow the skyline looks like a mile away and not 10 miles away. And you have the oh, lake. Yeah. And you're right, the stunning view I don't think can be beaten there. Yeah, it's cool on the on the lake too. A lot of the buildings, like like the Kellogg Building or our Athletic Center, like it's all windows, so you can like mm-hmm. completely see the lake. You see the sunrise. I would see the sunrise every morning at like five thirty, going into lift. Um, it was it was pretty remarkable every single day. All right, Emily. Last question. Um, we're gonna keep Bloomington and Evanston in the running here, but 
I okay. want you to just pick another college town. Could be a Big Ten one, but I'm sure you've been to others throughout your career that you really like when you visit or play in um, that you think could compete with those two or maybe on, on that tier of your favorite college towns and, and why that is. I, I think Ann Arbor. Um, I think it feels a lot like Bloomington where it's a, you know, smaller type college town, but I think it's like a little more built up um, just because the school is so big. Um, but I, every time I go to Ann Arbor, I love it. The food scene looks awesome. Um, we've randomly a lot of times gone when it's football game day too. And like, it just looks so fun. Um, obviously I grew up, you know, going to like IU tailgates and doing that with my family, but it looks really fun in Ann Arbor. Ann Arbor is another great spot. Um, they, they do a really good job there of blending like their downtown and campus town mm -hmm. area. Um, that's always I think a key for a good dynamic and in your, you know, Midwestern college town. So good choice. Mm -hmm. um, Emily, <laughs> that is, that's all I got though for you. Um, and I say that's all I got, but we went actually quite a long time and I enjoyed it. Um, really, really enjoyed, you know, flipping the interview on you. I know you're used to interviewing your <laughs> subjects, but uh, it was fun. And also, you know, it's one of those situations where, you know, the intern kind of get to see them grow up and, and do their own thing. And, uh, you know, you really had some good insight and, and things to say, and I don't doubt that things will fall into place for you soon. So I appreciate you joining me. Thank you. Yeah, maybe we'll work together again someday. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, let's uh, obviously stay in touch and, and make it happen. Yeah. All right. Thanks once again to Emily, Jeremy for joining me. Two uh, really good guests. I think it was a couple of solid interviews this week. and. Um, appreciated hearing hearing their perspectives and rooting for both of them as they uh, continue to, to push forward here and hopefully as we emerge out of this uh, pandemic come out the other side wishing those two nothing but the best all right for everyone out there listening please remember that you can subscribe to the take 10 podcast pretty much wherever podcasts are found platforms like apple podcasts Google play podbean we're on Stitcher and Spotify now, I believe. And also, we have, if you haven't noticed, started ramping up our YouTube presence for these interviews. Pretty much all these interviews are now available on YouTube. Um, you can see us talking, see me conducting the interviews, and see our guests. And um, that is found on the Big Ten Network YouTube channel. And there's a playlist specifically for the Take Ten Podcast, so you can find it easily. So subscribe to the Big Ten Network YouTube channel. We're going 200,000 strong there. So become one of those uh, subscribers and watch these interviews take place if you, you know, are sitting at home like me and there's no commute now to pop in your headphones and, and uh, just go straight audio. Check us out on YouTube. And you can actually see all my guest reactions when I ask them these goofy questions. So go ahead and do that. Much appreciated. Um, it's also much appreciated that Julie Bronder produces the Take 10 podcast each and every week and uh, I want to give her a shout out as well and just a final shout out to everyone who is listening we will come at you with one more episode in the month of August uh, at least one more so be on the lookout for that as we head toward at uh, what is now on the schedule as a 2020 football season and we'll be talking plenty about it we'll get some guests on especially as we get closer to the games and we will continue to stay on top of the news and current events here on the Take 10 podcast. So stay with us and we will talk to you soon.